Hi, I'm Andalisi, and in this two-part episode of Essential Cooking, my co-host, Chef James Rigato, schools us on Yelp, tipping, sending food back, and how to endear yourself to the restaurant staff. I think there's some tips that will get you on the, you know, quote-unquote VIP list faster than others. Um, and it's not status, because, you know, plenty of diners out there have, you know, um, big names or big money, but... It's, there's, there's behavior in which I think you can get, excel in being a regular or get flagged or receive top-tier uh, treatment. And um, this is something that I've obviously done when I travel or when I eat around town. Um, and I, you know, now I obviously have a lot of friends in the restaurant industry and locally, but when I go to like Chicago, I'm not nearly as you know, uh, connected. Yeah, people- so, so you know, what I'll do, you, kind of, you, wanna, you wanna look at the restaurant and what kind of place are you dining in? This is like number one, right? So usually like a gastro pub or something that's like chefy and fun and like dark and like, you know, a little bit rowdier. So I'll give you an example, like Longman and Eagle in Chicago or, you know, Mabel a little bit for sure, but like Tokoy, you know, something that's like, a, you know, kind of a, um, you know, more like a louder music, younger crowd. It's got a vibe. Right. Take beer, take a 12, walk in that restaurant with a 12 pack of High Life under your arm and hand it to the hostess and say, this is for the kitchen. She will walk back because she knows that the kitchen wants that beer. She will walk back. She'll give it to the chef or the expo or whoever say, hey, this is from guy in the blue shirt. And then the kitchen's going to look at where that guy in the blue shirt sits down. And then they'd be like, hey, table 20 brought us beer. And then they just, you don't need to do anything else. Just watch, watch the cooks. Just when that ticket comes in, they're going to take a little extra care, a little extra love. Let's get to before that. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about what everyone in the kitchen, by the time they're actually making your food. Yeah. They've already put in. Oh, exactly. Plate. I mean, most most kitchens, by the time that you sit down, 8 o'clock, 7.30, 9 o'clock, that kitchen's been there all day. So these cooks have nine hours, 10 hours, you know, eight hours of service in. And so another four hours to go, five hours to go. So they're focused, and they're making perfect plates. And, like, you know, most kitchens, the cooks, I mean, really, really care so it's not like, you know, I'm not saying like stand out because the rest of the food is terrible. I'm just saying stand out because like you're showing them that you realize how hard they're working and you care. And that's the thing is like when you go to a restaurant, you're about to receive, right? That's the idea is receive, 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 pay, and then leave. So when you show up and the first thing you're doing is giving, it's just this act of love that just, it just resonates to the whole restaurant. So when you show up with gifts it just, it means something. It's not even just the beer. I mean, everyone loves, you know, beer, but. See, what's interesting about that is I think that most people would think they can have access to all the beer they want. Yeah. They have access to all the food they want. And I think you're going to want to demystify that a little bit. What is the eating and consuming process like or experience like for everyone working in the kitchen? So do they eat before the restaurant opens for business? And who cooks it and what is that like? Or does that not happen? Are you supposed to eat at home and then you don't eat when you're at the restaurant? Like people don't know like yeah. what that experience is like. And so I want you to demystify what that is like. All restaurants are a little bit different, but primarily most of your kitchen staff and your service staff are probably running around hungry because they didn't have enough time to eat. Um, and, you know, it's like at, at Mabel, we do, we try to do some kind of lunch. Usually we'll order takeout because we're so busy. We don't have time to stop and make ourselves food because it'll take away from the actual, you know, we have to prep up for that night because we're busy. So, you know, and I'll make, you know, call it staff meal or family meal. I'll make a large, like, you know, breakfast or like lunch. But even so, it's not enough caloric density to sustain you through the rest of the night. So you have to kind of recharge. 
and cooks can make a little snack or a little, you know, we call them Scooby snacks if it's like a, you know, mishmash of things on your station. But primarily cooks are running around hungry and you don't, you know, you're, you're not, you can't cook and move and be mobile really full of food. So you don't really eat a big meal in the middle of service, but you know, that's most of the people. And then beer is like, maybe you get a shift beer, but most restaurants are like, you know, for one, you don't always have enough inventory just to pass out beer endlessly. And it's also can be a little reckless to be like, I gave my staff a bunch of beer and then somebody got in a fight or, you know, obviously drank too much and crashed their car. It's a liability. But in the average restaurant, you know, a 12 pack of high life, everyone will get one at the end of their shift. They punch out, enjoy a high life and go home. And just like most of these cooks are probably going to go hit up a bar or a local dive or something and, or go home. So you're just you're giving them a small token saying good work, I see you, I appreciate you. I know what the hustle's like and it just it just that one beer means so much. Even me, I mean I you know I I I own the restaurant and I, when someone brings a 12 pack of beer and it's just like man, what a great, you know, it's just it's nice that someone thinks yeah, someone buys you a beer. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a classic move. Okay, let's talk about tipping. I'm going to let you take that from there. I'm an over tipper. Yeah, me too. I tip a lot. I was a waitress. The only shift I ever had as a waitress was overnights, 11 a.m. to 7, I mean, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Wow. Only shifts I ever worked. Wow. Because I was working. Were you at Ramshorn? Where was yep. this? Yeah. <laughs> yep. A Ramshorn and Travis backstage. Yeah. And those were the only shifts I ever had. I was a waitress, so at least I have some perspective on that's how you make a living. Yeah. But let's talk about the whole tipping process. So you and I are over tippers. Not everybody is. Some people are a straight 15 or 20%, no matter what happens. Yeah. Just talk about that part of this. Yeah, I mean, tipping is, is such, a, such a deep conversation right now. We're obviously you know, we're one of the um, countries that, that tip, that people live off of tips. Uh, I, I mean, it's worked out for, for me and my businesses. I, I'm a supporter of, of gratuity, but I also think you need to, as an owner, you really need to protect your people. So right now with, with COVID and everything, we do a, an automatic gratuity, which I did not do for a long time, but we do an automatic gratuity. We also do, you know, talk reservation systems. So we, I've changed, I'm leaning on technology more than ever now, but um, this is the first time in my life I've ever done auto gratuity, but people still tip above that because I think people are good overall. But th- th- there's a, there's this, there's this false notion that if you get bad service, you should not leave a tip or the tip should be a reflection of the service. And I just don't believe in that because I don't know. There's not any servers probably in the Michigan market that are making, you know, six figures on a regular basis. So like your top tier servers are like, you know, they're putting in hard work for, you know, for a decent wage. This isn't, you're not, this isn't the wealthy. You're not sticking it to the man. You're screwing over somebody that like probably has a babysitter or daycare or like is working that job because they're trying to pay student loans. Like you are very much hurting somebody directly. It is not letting them know they did a poor job. It's probably that they're understaffed. It's probably that the, you know, they're, they're overwhelmed or maybe improperly trained. So tipping is the last and worst place to let someone know you're disappointed. Tipping poorly reflects on you, on you as a person, not on your server. And I try to tell my staff that too, if they ever get, you know, poorly tipped, which is very rare because, you know, um, I have a great team and I think I have a great customer base too, but it happens out there. And if anybody that's listening that's been tipped poorly, they know that it's a reflection of the customer and not of the you know, service. Because I've had plenty of terrible service and I still tip you know, 30 40% because I'm, a, I'm aware. And that way they know that like I can have class. Even if 
some, you know, even if the environment I'm in is not, you know, the classiest, I still have class. And I think that how you tip is who you are. Let's talk about people who punish the server because they didn't like their food. Right. That's, that's, that's the, another. That's probably the second, you know, the second uh, place for terrible behavior in a restaurant. You know, first being not tipping or tipping poorly. You know, again, it comes down to like a server who's probably improperly trained or having, you know, a bad, you don't just, you just don't know what someone's going through in their life. And it's such a guest facing interaction. You know, there's, they deal with so many people. It's like being on, it's like being on stage, you know, and giving customer service at the same time. It's an, it's a, it's an intense emotional job. So whenever I get bad service, you know, or, or, um, I'm just not being taken care of, I'll, you know, I'll, if I even talk to somebody in the spot, usually I'll send an email or let them know the next time I go back or maybe just not go back. Mm -hmm. But if I have to complain, I'll usually make it a positive. I'll usually say something like, you know, I think your server's a little overwhelmed. You know, if, if you see the manager or someone checks on you, hey, how is everything tonight? I think your server's a little overwhelmed. Maybe just check on, you know, make sure they have enough support. Mm -hmm. Because that sounds very caring and very nonchalant. But what it really means is like we're not getting enough attention or I, I, you know, I, I'm on a second drink. Or I never got my beer or whatever it is. You're letting them know that something's not right, but you're also letting them know that like, it's okay. I'm not mad. I think they need help. They don't need to be criticized. Maybe you know, they need a one last table in their section or, you know, and typically this, you know, the, the, the managers, I mean, I know, you know, we're a little bit understaffed or somebody didn't come in today or, you know, whatever it is, uh, we've been oven down or it's usually something where if you hear it, you're like, Oh wow. Wow. Okay. I totally understand. You know, there's so many things going on in a restaurant. You know, like even for us, like our, you know, our, our internet will cut out. So the music dies and then the POS system starts acting. It's just like, and it's a 10 minute blip here and there, but it's like it derails service. And so how can you, you know, if a server's staying there and all of a sudden the music cuts out and then like, you know, the tickets aren't printing. It's like, and they have to be like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the next stuff is your Chablis. This is a lovely white wine for, you know, mm -hmm. and you have to stay in character. So it's the, the server not performing to your expectations, you know, it's definitely a disappointment, but it is not there. They should not be the recipient of that criticism directly. You should try to find a way to get, what, like, what do you want, right? You want great service. Pu yelling at somebody or punishing them or torturing them is not going to get, like I'll tell you, I'm going to throw my dad under the bus right now. My dad is that raise an empty glass and shake it guy. And it drives me. I mean, I've, I've like, we've like, <laughs> I've wanted to like strangle him. And I tell him all the time, like, that is not okay. Mm -hmm. And it's never been okay. You know, like that server knows that glass is empty or some, the man, you know, there's a reason why it's taking a second, calm down. Raising and shaking a glass is never okay. Raising and snapping your fingers is not okay. Like I, I say, I always use rubbernecking. When I see somebody rubbernecking, just looking, looking around, mm -hmm. I'm always, I'm always, I go, I'm like, send someone to that table. Why are they looking around? And right. then, you know, and, oh, I was just admiring the art. Okay, great. But usually it's like, oh, you know, um, you know, well, where's the restroom? Or can I, I haven't seen my service. Yeah. Like, don't like, trust me in, in decent restaurants or better, they know you need something just like be patient. Celebrate 75 years of public radio in Detroit with WDET. As our spring fundraiser commences, let's unite to support what makes Detroit unique. 75 years of people-powered radio. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap Donate in the mobile app. Sending food back, which I know you don't do. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I have, maybe I have, but I definitely don't do it. Okay. So, you do. <laughs> okay. Well, 
Here's the thing. I only send <laughs> one thing back. Your eggs. I know. Eggs go back sometimes. I'm teasing. Because I'm like, okay, this is not a very expensive <laughs> item. Sure. So you can refire this, yeah. I think, the way I want it. If you're, so you're in a restaurant, you ordered your steak, you're going to pay a lot of money yeah. for a steak. Might be the only meal of your day and your steak doesn't come right. What are you supposed to do about that? That's a tough one. And steak's a great example because that's probably the most common issue. Okay. If it's under, if it's like, if it's like painfully undercooked, like if it's like, okay, this is, especially in a lower level restaurant where like, I don't know the sourcing. I don't really want to eat this, you know, very like tough, raw, rare piece of meat. I might send it back for an upcook. So like an upcook to me is the appropriate send back. Now, honestly, because it's easily fixed. It's easily fixable. There's no additional product. It lets them know that, like, you know, hey, this isn't great. And then, like, usually they're, you know, I mean, most cooks are fine with an up. Most cooks aren't throwing a fit. It's no big deal to send your steak back. Mm -hmm. For me at Mabel, we sous vide. So, I mean, we have like very precise, you know, so like I'm a little more fussier there because I'm like, look, this is like, we're very clear. This is the steak we serve. This is the temperature we serve it at. But if you go to like, you know, some some low end corporate steakhouses, like, I order a steak, never <laughs> expecting it to come out. <laughs> like, I mean, I have a large window, like rare plus to like medium well plus. I'll eat it because I'm just like whatever. Yeah, you know? but I like, get that. I know what you're saying. In a restaurant where you're spending eighty to a hundred dollars on a pl- on a steak, and it's like you know it's serious, chances are it'll come out okay. But if it's not, I'll never send back an overcooked steak and say like make me another one. I just don't do that. I don't mm-hmm. believe in it. I don't believe in throwing that meat away. See, I wouldn't send an overcooked steak. Yeah, back. I, would just, I would just eat it. But I an also undercooked take it, steak. I would send it back. Me too. And I think that's I think that's okay. But I mean, I'll eat it pretty under without sending it back. Mm-hmm. You know. But I'll, I mean, honestly, I've, I mean, I've taken a lot of steaks home to my dogs. Mm-hmm. I'm just like you know, there's a lot of my carryout food as long as it's safe for dogs that it's dog food. But for plates. For composed plates, right? This is what I think is not okay. You're like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll try that. Comes out and you don't like it. It is not okay to send that back. Right. And it's perfectly okay for the restaurant to say you're paying for that. I don't walk that hard of a line. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little more timid. If someone orders it and they hated it, like, okay, like I just, I can't. So this is a subjective situation <clears throat> where it's your palate just isn't compatible right. with this dish. Right. Now, now if we're talking like, it's incredibly salty. Like, in a, you know, if we're talking about inedibility is different than flavor, right? If it's a little bit spicier than you expected, if like, oh, I didn't realize, you know, it was like cold or I didn't realize, it was, you know, like a chilled dish. Like there's things where I'm like, that is not okay. It is not okay for you to order something and you didn't totally understand what the ingredients were, spicier than you expected and you want to send it back and not pay for it. That's ridiculous. You know, it's like if you, like you, you know, you bought it, you, you, or you sat down, you ordered it, the server most likely talked to you about it. You know, I think that's just like, and I've done that. I've gone to restaurants where I'm like, the plate comes out and I'm like, oof, that's not good. I ordered it. I pay for it. You know, it's a, it's like seeing a movie you didn't like. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, yeah. well, you know, you, you, ordered, you, went to, you went to it, you bought the ticket, you know. <laughs> you read the reviews. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I think that it's not okay to send back something because it's like, oh, I was kind of hoping it'd be a little bit, you know, richer, whatever it is. So, but it is okay to give feedback and say like, hey, this is a little bit spicy for me, mm-hmm. you know, or this is a little bit salty for me. I, whenever someone says something salty at Mabel, I go by and I taste one immediately. So when someone, and we get that occasionally because I, I had I, I a heavy seasoning type person. I'm a little salt heavy in my personal life. So when someone says this is salty, I taste immediately. I go back and I taste it and I'll adjust it. I mean, sometimes, sometimes they're absolutely right. And then I'll, I'll say, go tell them, thank you. I adjusted it. They were completely right. If a broth reduces too far and it gets a little salty, it happens. Right. Yeah. And I, I, lo- I love when people tell me that because I, I go and I check on it. 
Sometimes they're absolutely wrong. And I'm like, I don't care. They're wrong. I tasted it. <laughs> Delicious. Next. You know? Now, what happens when um, somebody summons you to their table, which has happened, yeah. correct? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm a little bit more of a diva, to be honest. So, like, I don't like going to tables for praise, to be honest. Like, I, I think, like, it's, I appreciate it. But, like, if I start hitting tables and, like, you know, I'm like, I, I'm a, at Mabel, I'm a cook as well. So I'm in the kitchen. So it's nice You're to working. stay. Yeah. If I hit a table, it can turn into 10 minutes. And then a table next to them wants to talk. It's like I, I, I'm abandoning my post. And then my team's like, oh, like, you know, where's James? Like, he needs to pick up this dish or whatever. So I don't love hitting tables. I know some chefs do, like Anthony Lombardo. I mean, the guy's like, you know, doing card tricks. He's the mayor. He's doing card tricks. He's like to, the yeah, mayor. exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I like to I like to kind of stay um, at, the, at, the, at my station. But I've, honestly, I've, I'm, I think I'm lucky. I've never really been summoned for negativity. I've only really been summoned for like conversation or praise. Or, oh, you know, you'll get like, hey, will you cater my son's wedding? Or, you know, then you're, at, then you're in a, a wormhole of a conversation where you're like, oh my God. You I, can't I, dismiss yourself yeah, very easily. Yeah, from but that. I, yeah. I, I haven't been, I have one interaction in Mabel's history where a customer um, was late at night and they were a little drunk and a little unruly and kind of was insulting. And um, I've, I've since banned them. And they've tried to book reservations and I haven't allowed them. There's like maybe one or two people that I just, I, I'll ban. Then I'm like, you, they're not allowed to make reservations. So, but other than, it's not because of like, I didn't like your steak. You know, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't mind criticism. I actually enjoy um, critical feedback so that we can, we can get better. You and I have talked, talked about the Yelp reviews yeah. and how damaging they can be. I, and I've read them and it, it doesn't really influence much of, if I think I want to go try something, I'm just going to go. Yeah. Do you find that people take those reviews to heart? Do you find that that's changed at all? Do people kind of just not, do they kind of disregard them? Or is it still like people are going to make big decisions about where they go based on those reviews? I think it depends at a time. In a, in a new restaurant, it's definitely more damaging to have like 10 reviews and two are negative. But I also think that Yelp has really lost its luster. I mean, Yelp is like, a, it's just a, it's like Twitter, it's, it's just a soapbox for angry people. There's a lot of like, I'm going to leave you a bad review because I'm, I'm mad about something. Um, rarely does someone say like, you know, like, you know, like, oh, what a great experience. I'm going to go to Yelp. I mean, I feel like we'll do 120 people. We did 120 covers last night. I get, there's no, Yelp. you know what I'm saying? Like, I bet you all week we didn't get a Yelp. So like, for 500 satisfied, happy people this week, no one's leaving a Yelp. Once in a while you do because people, you know, some people like using Yelp, but the vast majority of your satisfied guests aren't leaving a feed, comment or feedback. They just had a great meal and they told their friend. Word of mouth is still the best, you know, reputation you can have. But it's just what I caution people against is like you maybe you had a bad experience and you're angry, something went wrong. Maybe you were, you were legit taken advantage of in a restaurant or, you know, somebody ripped you off. But like, why do you want to document that? It's going to live forever on that Yelp. You know, it's like there's you can go look at reviews from 2015 on Mabel Great from from month one. Like, why? Just why? Like, just I feel like those platforms are really tired, and you know, they're just they're not they're not where I think we should look for uh, examples of you know quality. The more restaurant charges, the more status they have, the more teeth come out when someone's dissatisfied, and it's just I think it's just so tired. They do still hold water. I think you, reviews, Google reviews, Yelp, um, you definitely see them. I mean, TripAdvisor, you know, they're, they're out there and they, they matter. But this, I think like the powers 
fading. People are fatiguing of negativity on the internet in general. And they're just used to, you just expect it. You can't post a picture of a chicken nugget without somebody, you know, getting crazy on your comment thread. So I think most people are just used to it. But like you said, the average person can see through it. And when I get a negative review, I read it and then I look for the truth because there's probably 90% fluff and then 10% of the truth. And read it. I'm like, okay, what's going on? Okay, they were sat late because we were running behind. Yep, our fault. Let's address why. What can we do to make it better? Do we offer them a little champagne? Do mm-hmm. we, you know, get their food out fast enough? So there, there's things we can do that I will have a meeting with the staff. Do you think that um, the simple recognition to somebody sort of just neutralizes all of that? Absolutely. Like if somebody just walks up to them and says, I see you. I know yeah. that you're here and I know we're running late. And thank you for your patience. Absolutely. Then everyone just kind of moves on, and then they I definitely, and, and then make their experience great. So they, I like to do that with a glass of champagne or a little glass of sparkling cider or something. So I try to, I try to, you know, I think a little token, a little gift, a little like, you know, we see, we actually see you. Here's a little, a little bit, you know, little bubbles just to kind of, you know, because um, you know most people sit down and want to get a little drink anyway. So if you start them standing up, then they can sit down and start their meal. Their their night is not totally taken away. I think for, for a restaurant like Mabel, because we're so small and mm-hmm. we do late night seating, a lot of people get stressed later in the evening. So like 9, 30, 10 o'clock, they're like, oh my God, the kitchen's going to close. Oh, I want right, to get, right. and like, so for us, we have like, you know, I tell them, the staff will go and say, listen, don't worry, tasting menu, whatever. We don't, we don't close. We have seatings. We seat. That's it. There is no closing. You sit down, we'll feed you until you're full. So once people know that, I think they kind of that they're not going to be relaxed. rushed out of there. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I I don't like waiting for a table. You know, who does? Who wants to stand outside? It's cold now. Yeah, like I I'm, I understand. Mm-hmm. So like we so like if yeah, I try to let everyone know like we see you, we care, and we're on it. So I think uh, as we wrap this up, that maybe people don't look at this as sort of an, a very unique relationship. Yeah, is what it kind of is. Communication, just like with everything else, is key. Well, it's like, how do you want to be remembered? You know, like, it's like, as a customer, it's like, I want to be remembered for, you know, being kind and generous and considerate. I mean, in my life, like, I hope, you know, like, obviously there's, I have, I have plenty of examples where I wasn't that, but that's what you want to do, right? You want to be remembered for being kind and generous. So as a customer, I want someone to go, ah, oh, that guy was nice. Okay. So let's say we're trying a new restaurant and we're not sure how the food is going to be. What's a good barometer as you walk into a place, the first thing that you might want to consider doing before you start ordering all kinds of things. One metric I use when I go out to dine for the restaurant, and this is for people that are more on a budget or that are special occasion eaters. I often make dinner reservations. I do two dinners when I travel or even when I'm just day off, I'll eat at like five and I'll eat at like nine and I'll kind of like dictate. If I don't know the restaurants, I order a cocktail. So when you go to a restaurant that you're checking out and you're excited about, and maybe it's got some good reviews, order a cocktail. And like, for one, I look at the cocktail menu if it sounds good. Um, and if you see, the, if the bartender, watch them. Are they really slick? Are their movements sharp? Does, the, does that sound of the shaking martini sound beautiful? Like, are you, you know, they, can they do the, the, the nice stir in the glasses with the spoon? Do the spirit selection look nice and curated? Go for a dealer's choice cocktail. Sit down and say, hey, you know what? I love gin. I don't want it to be too sweet. And it's, you know, it's a little bit cold outside. Make me a cocktail. And if the cocktail's delicious, order everything. Get the whole menu. Get the stick, get the most expensive. You can trust that that kitchen puts in care if the bartender and the bar program and the cocktail's delicious. Now, if you walk into a restaurant, you're like, okay, I don't, the bartender doesn't look that savvy, but like, just order a classic. Say, I'll have a last word. I'll have a Negroni, kind of a old fashioned. Just get a classic. 
If it's properly made, well, then you can probably trust that the Caesar salad and the steak and the you know creme brulee are going to be properly made because it's a it's a classic house. So the what the cocktail? I would say spend that fifteen bucks on a cocktail, sit there for a minute, and decide how much money you should spend on the rest of the menu. Because if you get a Manhattan and it comes and they put it in a martini glass, shaken on ice, okay, you got a problem. You know, if you obviously order a Negroni and it's incredibly sweet, or if you order a Last Word and it doesn't look right and it doesn't taste right, maybe just go, you know, go play it safe, get a burger. You know, that's that's kind of how I look at it. It's like that's your introduction to the, how the restaurant approaches everything else. Well, we hope you got some valuable insights while listening to that conversation. We would like to thank La Marca Prosecco for their support. From the hills of Veneto, Italy, you can never go wrong with Prosecco, whether it's in a spritz or drinking straight. We'd also like to thank you for listening. Joan Isabella is our executive producer. Associate producers are Lisa Brancato and David Lyons. Production provided by Studios on the Pond and Rowan Nemisto. Original music by the Mallet Brothers. This is a production of Detroit Public Radio Station, WDET. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and join us as we explore the world of food and how to cook it right here on Essential Cooking.